Hi, I'm Ellen Pompeo, and this is Tell Me. Today's conversation is with Rachel Lindsay. Rachel is best known as the first black bachelorette in the franchise's history. She's now a correspondent on Extra TV. I have been vocal about my opinions about The Bachelorette in the past. I sometimes watch the show, and I have sort of a love-hate with it. I've always watched Rachel, and I've always wondered what her experience was really like. And so I really am grateful for the opportunity to sit down with her and talk about what her experience was like, because she's been in a bit of controversy surrounding The Bachelorette. And she was very brave to come and talk to me. She doesn't know me, doesn't know what we would possibly talk about. And I really appreciated her giving the time to have a conversation with her about her experience. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Alan. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Rachel and I were just talking about how I feel like we have some similar traits. And you stated that you have not been on a podcast since you left. For anyone who doesn't know Rachel Lindsay from The Bachelorette, first Black Bachelorette. How do you feel? You feel okay so far? I feel good. I feel good. Yeah, yeah. I was just sharing that I haven't. And purposely, I've been asked to talk about everything that's transpired over this year and just talk about like my journey with Bachelorette. And I just kind of, I almost feel like I have a little PTSD, maybe a lot of PTSD from the whole incident. And I needed just to take a beat and take some space away from everything and then find the right place to feel like I can have an honest conversation and be myself. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because it's probably a huge decision anyway to like decide to be the first Black Bachelorette. Yeah. And then to have such a success story, you picked someone, you married him. He looks like a super nice guy, (laughs) super hot, smart. (laughs) caring, all the things that you would never, I mean, you know, I watch the show quite cynical. (laughs) I don't watch it all the time, but I'm less cynical about The Bachelorette than I am about The Bachelor, but we can talk about that later. Mm -hmm. So you do put yourself out there knowing that there's going to be some element of, you know, uncharted water and, you know, there might be some great whites out there. Yeah. And so then it blew up into this whole other thing, which it always kind of inevitably does. And You know, again, I want to approach this delicately, but how does you interviewing Chris Harrison and The Bachelor and The Bachelorette having such a history of being so white, Mm -hmm. how does Chris Harrison supporting someone who said racist things or took part in racist behavior, how does that come back that you have to step away? I don't have black skin, brown skin. I don't understand what it's like 
but I can certainly try to understand and see it from that point of view much more than I can. It's the defensiveness Mm -hmm. of the white audience that is so baffling to me still. I'm not understanding, and you probably don't understand that either. I mean, if I can't explain my people, you certainly can't. (laughs) So you caught a lot of backlash for Chris Harrison getting fired. Yeah, that is absolutely correct to the point where not only did I step off of social media for a while, I also just stepped away from the franchise. And it had kind of been building up. And I think what happened with Chris was the last straw because it highlighted for the first time more in a way than anyone had ever had before. You saw what we go through as people of color, a part of this franchise when it comes to the audience. You saw it outright, what we've been seeing in our DMs, in comments, you know, throughout social media. We've been seeing it for such a long time. And that was it for me when I saw how the audience and even people who didn't watch the show reacted to me doing what I'm supposed to do in the confines of my job, my job description, asking a question. He responded. It's a question I would have asked anybody who was affiliated with the franchise because that's what was relevant to what was happening on that season. And somehow it became my fault. To strip away everything, there's only one reason that you could think that it was my fault. Because you have certain preconceived notions that are attached to me because of my skin color than you do versus somebody else if a white woman was sitting in that seat. That's really what it comes down to. And then to add on top of it, Chris became a martyr for cancel culture to a huge audience. And so people who didn't watch the show then started to say, oh, she canceled him. And then I got attached to that as well. So it went beyond just what happened with the show and that interview. It went to, oh, she canceled him. Oh, she's a person who likes to cancel people. And it just took on a life of its own when you had the Ben Shapiro of the world covering this issue and in the wrong way. Right. I mean, there's so many things I could say right now. I just have to take a beat and take a deep breath and really be thoughtful about what I want to say. First of all, let me say I'm sorry. Thank you. That all of that happened to you. I know for me personally, The Bachelor is something that, you know, my daughter's definitely seen a few episodes. We've definitely watched it. Mm -hmm. But watch The Bachelorette more than The Bachelor. And I will just say representation matters so much for my daughter to be able to watch things and see herself represented is really, really meaningful for a super smart young girl who's 12 years old who has the whole world ahead of her. And she has as much a right to every opportunity that everyone has in the world. So so thank you for putting yourself out there like that and taking a chance, which I'm sure you knew that it could have gone crazy, right? It could have gone sideways very easily. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. My parents didn't want me to do The Bachelorette. I'm sure they didn't. They didn't have a problem with The Bachelor because I was one of many. And I mean, let's be serious. We didn't think that I would go far because you typically didn't see Black women or men go far on the show. So for them, they just didn't think that I would have that type of exposure. But when it came to me being the first and me being the lead to this audience that they had curated for so many years that was used to a certain type of person leading the show, my parents knew what was going to come with it. My mom said, quote, they're going to crucify you. But I knew it was bigger than me. And thank you so much for saying what you're saying about representation in your daughter, because that is exactly why I have to do it. And I still have people say, like, why would you go on that show? You know, that show's not for us. 
Well, why should that be our mentality? Why should we just stop and say, you know what? We don't see ourselves there. We haven't been there. So we just keep moving. I think it's beautiful that we create avenues for ourselves, which we've done over the years, decades and decades of doing that. But why can't we say, you know what? I'm going to pursue this because there are people who look like me that watch the show that don't see themselves reflected, that don't see the fairy tale of a Black woman told on television. They don't see someone who's desired and being pursued in the most eligible bachelorette in the country. Why can't I go after that? So a young girl can see herself represented on screen. And so like when I hear stories like that, I'm like, thank you, because that's exactly why I said yes to doing it. Right. And that's, you know, going out on a limb and doing something for other people, right? Because the representation matters, even though you're willing to sort of take some hits or take some shots because the issue is larger than yourself. Mm -hmm. That takes real courage. So let's just acknowledge that for a second. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. And then I want to speak about something else that you said, which is they create this sort of fairy tale that aside from race, right? The audience of this show, from what I've seen, and again, I'm no like bachelor or bachelorette aficionado by any means, because to be honest, I do have quite a judgmental view of the show. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I watch it every once in a while. It's on my network. And every once in a while, there's someone interesting on there. There's an interesting dynamic or a, the promo department. They're geniuses <laughs> at the way they promote the show. There is, I think... I won't say a creation, but a manipulation and a supporting of a certain narrative, which is victims, mm -hmm. fairy tales. You know, with The Bachelor, which was the first show, I believe, it's like there's a whole sect of women that want to see other women sad so they can come around her and hug her and support her when she's down. Yep. But women don't really as easily, I won't say everyone always, but... It's easier, I think, for some women to support women when they're down mm -hmm. and harder for them to support women when they're on top. 
And I think that's the worst version of women, and that's the worst version of ourselves. And the reckoning that's happened over the past couple of years in this town, I think you just recently moved to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Thank you. It's so funny that that still is the culture. We talk about women empowering women and women supporting other women. And yes, we're doing that more now. Now we have been taught the narrative is women are not our competition, but our friends and our teammates But instinctually and inherently, women being our competition has been so systemically beat into us that it's not going to be this quick shift that happens. And the producers are expertly manipulating women to root for the ones who don't get picked, root for the ones that get their heart broken. And I don't know if I know enough about the show to villainize the ones who make it through. Certainly every show, reality or otherwise, is going to create villains and, you know, heroes and victims. It's the classic archetypes that exist, right? We need that in storytelling, I suppose. It's funny, I was laying in bed last night talking to my daughter, and she's allowed some TikTok time. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she's never seen my show yet. But of course, the icon pops up on Netflix all the time. And a lot of her friends watch it. I won't let her watch it yet. But she saw a clip on TikTok of a scene that was like iconic, right? It Uh was a pick me, choose me, love me scene. I don't know if you've ever seen my show. I watch it, yeah. But... Okay, so years ago, you know, there was this famous scene where Derek is possibly going to go back to his ex-wife or pick Meredith and Meredith cries and says, pick me, choose me, love me. When I read that scene, I was horrified. It's like, (laughs) I'm going to beg a man. And then on top of it, you know, it's like Meredith sobbing. I don't know if it was in the script or not, or the onset producers wanted me to cry when I was doing the scene. And what's funny about that scene is I'm bawling my eyes out. But I'm Mm -hmm. bawling, not for the reasons in the scene. I'm bawling (laughs) because I was like, I can't believe that I'm on TV begging a man to love me. And my daughter was like, Mom, like, why did you beg a man to love you? And I was like, well, praise Jesus that she's asking me this question and that her head is already in the right space at 12. But what do I say? And then I was like, you know, I didn't write that. I didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. But that scene is wildly popular, right? Yeah. That just goes to show you how much I know, right? I was like, this scene is terrible. I don't want to do this scene. Yet it's like one of the most popular scenes in television history. Yeah. So it's like, what is about that victim culture that women just flock I guess everybody sort of knows what heartbreak feels like, and every woman knows what that feels like. Oh, we want the man to pick us. But why? Why do we do that? Why do we put ourselves in situations? Why do women go on The Bachelor and put (laughs) themselves in a situation where there's a super good chance of you being humiliated on national television and having some dude whose pants are way too tight, probably, <laughs> picking some other woman. <laughs> like, we'll get into that in a second, why their pants are all so tight. I really don't understand it. I think society has romanticized those moments. They've made it a part of the fairy tale because it's like if you come on the other side of it, then it's this beautiful thing and you have the stories to tell, almost as if things have to be difficult. And I was raising my hands up when you were talking about the scene where you say that because that happened on my season. One thing I promised myself when I was the bachelorette is that I wanted to live out every emotion, every feeling. I didn't watch the show before, so I didn't know how to be someone else. I wanted to be me because at the end of the day, if I did fall in love, which I never thought could happen, I wanted to have no regrets. And I wanted to say I lived every relationship to the end 
and I chose you. Not by default, not because no one was left or I felt forced to do something. I chose you because I wanted to choose you. I have always said that The Bachelorette makes it seem like women need to be saved. Yes, you're the lead of the show. Yes, you're doing the picking and you're in the driver's seat. But at the end of the day, a man comes and he saves you because you can have A through Z, but you're not complete until you have that man at the end of the day. And I'm guilty of this because I played into that and it worked out for me. Yes, but I also perpetuated this stereotype that exists in our society when it comes to women. I needed to be saved. I had accomplished all these things until I accomplished getting a man by my side. I wasn't whole. And when it came down to the last two men, every emotion I felt was real when it came down to Brian and Peter. And I'm glad it all played out. But when it aired, it aired and made it seem like I was begging a man to pick me, to choose me, to love me, as you said. And in reality, that wasn't the case. He was saying one thing and I was like, no, you have to go. This isn't it. This isn't what I want. But the audience saw it as a Meredith Grey. And that's what they wanted me to have instead of the man who was saying, I'm here for you. This is what I want. I love you. I'm dedicated to you. They thought that that was more of a love story than the man who was there for me and who knew exactly what he wanted. And isn't that sad? And for years, I've had to defend my relationship versus what people saw on air versus what happened in real life, despite being married for two years now. People still go back to that scene and think that's what love looks like instead of what I have in my marriage with Brian. It's wild. It's wild because the truth is, listen, you know, I've been on a long running going into 18 seasons right now. So I know better than anyone that they want so badly to just stick to the formula, right? If something is working, let's not color outside the lines. This is what people like. This is what people know. Yeah. And it would have been so much better for the audience, for you would have left a better taste in your mouth, would have been more enlightening for the audience to truly see a different way or someone approaching it differently. Mm -hmm. If culturally they're wanting to be more relevant and they're wanting to expand what the show looks like, why do you want to expand what the show looks like? Because you feel pressure. So you're just going to put up a black girl. Mm -hmm. So, okay, we check the box. We're good. But you don't want to tell the black girl's real story. You don't want to see maybe how she's approaching this as an individual Mm -hmm. differently from how other people have approached it. And that would be true diversity. Why not truly be creative in our approach to storytelling? Having Rachel Lindsay as our bachelorette, let's tell Rachel Lindsay's journey the way Rachel Lindsay is living her journey. What service are you doing by hiring Rachel Lindsay and then painting your own narrative on top of her? That's not true representation. That's not accurate representation. It's not genuine. And it isn't that interesting, to be honest. Absolutely. I mean, it wasn't inclusive. You know, there were certain things that I was asked, sure, like when it comes to like makeup and hair, and I appreciated those things. Great. But when it came to telling my story or from my experience as being a Black woman, those things weren't received in the same way. Like I remember when I had a breakdown, it just hit me randomly in a moment where I was struggling with my emotions and I'm looking around the room and no one looks like me. And everybody's a white male except for one female producer. And I'm like, you have no idea what I'm going through. You don't understand what you're asking me to do. You know, you don't understand how you're telling me, oh, you can't go in there and confront them. Because they were telling me that because I would have looked like an angry Black woman. 
there were just so many things that weren't receptive to, I guess, what I wanted, how I wanted to portray myself because an audience couldn't necessarily receive things in that way. For example, there was a guy on my season who was not into Black women and he was Black. And I was trying to tell them as a Black woman, this is the most frustrating thing that we live in everyday life because Black men are comparing us to a European standard of beauty. And it's actually a little traumatizing and emotional to go through that. And the fact that you have casted somebody on my season who fits that mold, and I'm telling you that I don't want to take them on a date because this is a struggle for Black women. And then you tell me, oh, no, it's fascinating. We've never seen anything like this before. You have to take him on a date. It's fascinating to you as a white man. It's fascinating to your majority white audience. But you're not listening to the pain I'm telling you that this brings out in me to go talk to a Black man who is not into Black women. It's not that he's into diversity or dating all races. He specifically has never been with a Black woman in his entire life. He dates everyone but Black. That is traumatizing to me, but they didn't want to hear that type of story because it didn't fit their narrative. And so that plays into what you're saying about you wouldn't allow me to be my full black self. I could be black as long as it fit into your box, which is why when I did the magazine article, I talk about that. I was perfect for them on paper. I was acceptable on paper to a majority white audience coming from a certain lifestyle. My father being a federal judge, attending private school, being an attorney, I fit a certain mold where you could say, wow, she's one of the good ones. We can understand why she became the first and she was chosen. And not to diss my other bachelorettes, I love them all. But if I had the same resume that they had, I wouldn't have been the first. I'll just put it like that. For sure. Or if your skin were four shades darker. That too. That too. And so let me just back up. That would have been such a more interesting piece of television and also a look into what the Black experience is that white people don't know, could never know. If you're willing to show that side on camera, that Mm -hmm. should be seen as a gift. We should thank you for letting us into your pain, letting us into your trauma. And for anyone listening to what she just said, if that bothers you, that a black man who only likes white women is traumatizing to her, if that bothers you, then you have to take a deep breath and ask yourself why. Yep. Because it's a real thing. And it's a complex thing to have to understand Mm -hmm. for black women and for white women. It's different range of emotions. White women are going to get super defensive and say, why should that bother you? But if you get defensive, that's the wrong reaction. And I don't know how you go about doing the work. This is how I've chosen to sort of try to do work is to have uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. to sort of, you know, enlighten some people. Obviously, this podcast is not about race. I'm no authority on race by any means. But every time I'm in a situation where it comes up, I just try to have conversations. So maybe someone's listening and maybe it helps someone to a greater understanding. But I'll just say this, that defensiveness is not a productive emotion. Right. I would urge anyone who feels defensive to try to start your process because a place of love and compassion feels so much better in your chest mm-hmm. than defensiveness. I completely agree with you. And I think that it's so important to have these conversations. That's what I love with what Emmanuel Acho is doing with Uncomfortable Conversations because they're not easy. They're hard to have. And sometimes you have to have some honest truths about things that you've done in your past or things that you still don't understand, but you're trying to work through it and figure it out. And, you know, we're basing this all off of like things that happened on The Bachelor. 
I just wonder how much more rich the show could be. You know, the show is patting itself on the back because it's starting to actually talk about things that are happening in the world, like Black Lives Matter or being in an interracial relationship. But I just remember how like contrived those conversations are at times when it was like, okay, for example, for me, when I was on The Bachelor, my date was on a Sunday for a hometown. And I was like, well, typically on a Sunday, we would go to church. We go to church on Sunday and it's like this entire experience. And then we gather for dinner afterwards or we go to brunch. And they thought it was the most amazing thing ever. But it felt more like they were exploiting something that's a part of tradition and a part of our culture and forcing us to have certain conversations rather than saying, oh, this is who Rachel is. This is understanding, you know, like why on Sundays we gather together and what that experience means. And if I'm going to bring this man into my life, how he would be a part of it. I just think that sometimes we can get so into, especially right now that we're having these conversations and it is on everyone's mind and we are more aware than we have been before, that they feel forced rather than more organic as they should be. And when they're organic, it brings a level of understanding and a level of empathy that you don't feel like you're getting if it's more of a, a lecture. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, how many Black producers are there? Because there's your <laughs> fix right there. In this town, you hear about inclusion riders, and it's why inclusivity on the crew is so important and why Black producers are so important or Asian producers or any producer of color. It's why every production needs real balance mm-hmm. because it just makes for better storytelling all around. You mitigate situations where actors or talent are feeling bad about themselves or feeling bad about situations. It's just such a better atmosphere. And it's still something that it's not like, oh, you hire some black producers or Asian producers. Oh, we're all set. It's work that has to continue every single day. Yeah. One of the things that I find myself saying, if you spend time with people, different types of people who live their lives in different ways or eat different foods or whatever, then you have the true experience. You can read all the books you want. You can watch all the documentaries you want. You can even go protest with a sign. And that's all great stuff. But who are you going on vacation with? Mm -hmm. Who are you truly eating dinner with? Who are you calling when you don't feel good? You know, who is in your life? Yeah. A lot of what I see in, in this town specifically in my business is a lot of people trying to check the boxes and do the right thing, but they're not actually walking the walk. Who's in your phone? Who are the last 10 people you called? Who are the last 10 people you listened to if they had a bad day or they were upset or they had a victory? And who is in your life? Mm-hmm. Because if the last 10 calls you got, if they don't look different, You can read all the books you want. You can listen to all the podcasts you want about race. You can do all the other work. But until you're spending time and living your life Mm -hmm. with different types of people, you will never truly understand anyway because you can't be in someone else's skin, right? Right. But you'll have a better, authentic experience and you'll be able to speak from an authentic authentic place. I think that is uncomfortable as even I get with a black husband for 17 years and black children. I still get uncomfortable. I'm afraid to say the wrong thing. And the majority of people in my life are black and Asian and I still get uncomfortable. So I can see where people are so hesitant and so nervous when they're really just checking a box and doing the things they think are, "Ah, well, I'm being inclusive. You're still going to be scared because you're not living in an inclusive way. And the more inclusive you live, 
the more courage you get to speak up about things, even if it's still scary, because you know you're doing it out of the goodness of your heart and for your friends and for people that you love, Mm -hmm. and really to try to create some deeper understanding and empathy. Yeah. And can I say something about the fear thing? Because I think it's so important to say, like you said, you're surrounded by different cultures and people who don't look like you. Yet sometimes you still get fearful of saying the wrong thing. And I think my responsibility on the other end is that sometimes people are so quick to jump on people when they say the wrong thing and not realize that they're trying to understand it. Maybe they're asking a question. They don't have all the answers. They don't get it. And sometimes we expect people to be perfect in their analysis and their understanding or when they're trying to use a phrase that we're kind of eliminating at this point, do the work. And I get a little frustrated when people want to jump on or cancel people who are really just trying to understand. And I think it's so important that this is two-sided. Yes, you need to do the work by yourself and you need to do your own research. And of course, you know, you can have someone guiding you, you know, if you have questions, but you also have to allow people to ask those questions. You have to allow people to feel comfortable to make mistakes. You have to understand the intention behind what they're doing is to be better and to understand. And so it's not all on the one person to figure it out. It's also on the other person to give them a little space and freedom to trip up along the way if the path that they're taking is leading them to be a better person. And I just think it's really important to say that because sometimes we, if we're just talking just about like Black people, sometimes, you know, Black people don't give the, the space or have the patience when another culture is trying to understand their culture and vice versa. If I'm Black trying to understand the Asian culture, like we need to make sure it's a give and a take on both sides. Yeah, I can understand why Black community or the Asian community lack patience when dealing with white people. Honestly, I can. I get frustrated myself. You know, I give some grace period there because I'm frustrated. But thank you for saying that. It is important. We should all try to have empathy and grace first, as hard as it is. And some days we don't have it. That's very true. (laughs) It's very true. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. So let's circle back to why does a woman like you even sign up for The Bachelor? <laughs> you said you had never seen the show. Nope. You have a law degree. Why does someone so smart and ha- seems to have everything so together want to do this? I mean, it's a little bit of escapism. I was approached by coworkers, friends who were fans of the show who came into my office and were like, you should do this show. And I just remember laughing. And literally my next response was, I don't watch that show, but everybody knows Black people don't go far. Like that show's not for us. I said that. And they said, no, if you do it, you will go far. And so I'm forever grateful for those two women for seeing something in me that I couldn't quite see in myself, which it takes friends sometimes to see that for you or to do that for you. I really was trying to escape my reality. 
I wasn't hopeful that I was going to find love or, you know, that it would bring to me all the things that I have today. I was coming out of a bad relationship that I kept going back to. My career, I was accomplishing what I wanted to, but I felt like it was plateauing. And I just needed to shake things up. And for me, it was kind of a bit of a rebellion. I did everything that I was supposed to. I went to the schools I was supposed to go to. I got the career that I felt like would please my parents. I dated the people that would please my parents. I was a very good child, even into adulthood. And so for me, it was the first time saying, this is a chance for me to fly and to do something because I want to do it and to escape my current reality. And the beauty of it too is you're stripped from the world. No family, no friends, no television, no internet, no phone. All you're left with are your thoughts and your desires and what it is you really want for yourself. And when I came out of The Bachelor, and I would say that that is, you know, if we're going to say something positive, that is a true experience of being a part of this franchise. It is a huge social experiment. But if you really take the time to figure yourself out, you're having all these conversations about your feelings in a way you never had before. It can be extremely therapeutic. I actually also saw the psychiatrist every week, but it can be extremely therapeutic, but you can learn who you are. And when I came out of The Bachelor, I knew exactly what I wanted. I knew exactly what I wanted out of life, but then also what I wanted out of a relationship. I never dreamed that they would ask me to be The Bachelorette. I was just trying to make it through each week. Okay. So first of all, I have one question and then I'll get to my other point that you just made me think of, which is amazing. They have a psychiatrist there for everybody? Well, see, here's the thing. Now it's for everybody. When I was there, it was like, oh, we took your test. You have to take a psych test before you get on. And I didn't qualify to need to see the psychiatrist. It was either based on like medicine or maybe some ways that you ask questions. And I said, I was in therapy before I started this show. I need to see a psychiatrist every week to keep that up, to stay sane. And they were like, okay, you can. And then after that, everybody started going, I adored. We would talk about like politics. <laughs> and like, I was like, tell me what's going on in the world. I like hitched my wagon to her because she was what was real to me. We couldn't be mic'd. I could stay in there as long as I wanted to. They couldn't pull me out. They couldn't question the things that we talked about. It was a safe place for me. And without her, I wouldn't have been able to go through the bachelor and be successful. And I demanded that I got to talk to her weekly for an unlimited amount of time as the bachelorette. And it saved me. Right, because you're really isolated because no one's on your side there, right? You can't really talk to the producers. Right. You can't talk to anyone. So that's incredible. I didn't realize that. I'm glad you had that. So what you made me think of were you said yes as a way of rebellion. <laughs> we look at forms of no as self-protection, right? Like saying no is preserving your sanity. This is like a concept that I'm really into because it varies based on the situation, right? Like mm -hmm. it's really like a delicate balance yeah. of when we use our yeses and when we use our nos. On social media, people put out these statements like start saying no to everything. You know, saying no is a form of self-protection, which it is. In certain circumstances, right. sometimes you should absolutely say no as mm -hmm. a way of self-protection. But sometimes you should say yes as a form of taking a risk, taking a chance. Saying yes isn't always a bad thing if you're doing it for the right reasons. That yes was the most selfish thing I think I had ever done <laughs> at that point in my life. And I obviously don't regret it, but that was purely personal. It was all for me not caring what anybody else had to say. And that was the first time I had ever done anything like that before. That's amazing. Okay, so I have one question. Have you and Chris Harrison spoken? No. Well, we have not talked 
since the day after. He did reach out to me right after the interview because he didn't think that anything was wrong with it. Like he was like, I'm so glad we could have these conversations. And to be honest, I was like shell-shocked. I really was just like, yeah, 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 you know, great. And then the next day I watched it back. In it was a totally different experience than watching it. And I don't know if I've ever said this, but I was a little mad at myself because I have a bit of a temper. I'm extremely opinionated. I like a good debate. And I was mad at myself that I was silent. And there were so many things that I wanted to say and I didn't. And it took a while for me to say, but you were doing your job. It wasn't a debate. You know, it was an interview and you had to allow him to say what he wanted to say. But a part of me was really upset with myself because I felt like there was more I could have said. And I felt like I didn't stand up for myself. I'm glad it worked out the way that it did. But I just had to say that because I don't even think I've ever said that, admitted that before. But he did call me the day after when it started to pick up steam and when people were starting to get negative about it and all of these things. And then he asked me if I was okay. I told him how I felt. And he said, he's sorry that, you know, he made me feel that way. Yes, he did apologize. And then I have not talked to him since that day. He reached out to me after I said, I accept his apology that he gave on Good Morning America. And that was the last time I talked to him. He said, thank you for saying that. It's interesting that you guys made it through the whole season, right? Because they can edit, they control what goes out. And then the second you were in an interview where ABC didn't have the power, it's interesting that that's when stuff surfaced. There's no PR on that interview. I didn't watch it purposely because I get too emotional and I I, <laughs> I wanted to try to stay calm. <laughs> So I don't come to the podcast with my boxing gloves on for Rachel Lindsay. Trying to bring them cool. out. Bring them out. Trying to be cool about this whole thing. I was so excited to talk to you, but I was nervous because I didn't know how you felt about the whole thing. And I didn't want to re-traumatize you in any kind of a way. And I'm super opinionated about the show. So I couldn't have enjoyed this talk and meeting you more. So I really thank you for doing this and putting yourself out there. You don't know me. You know, I could have come at you in a crazy way. So I appreciate you trusting <laughs> me. And I think we brought up a lot of thoughtful things for people to think about. And, you know, I'll just say, if you haven't walked a mile in someone else's shoes, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like to put yourself on a stage. And you did put yourself on the stage. You did that. And so did he. Yeah. You know, I'm not a fan of cancel culture at all. I don't think there's any opportunity for learning. Agreed. And also cancel culture creates this fear that people are unwilling to speak about things because they're so afraid to mm -hmm. be canceled. Mm -hmm. Cancel culture is not a productive thing. But I hope this conversation was productive for people. Absolutely. I mean, thank you for making me feel comfortable, for feeling like I could just have a conversation. You're right. We don't know each other that way. But I definitely knew that you had the guts to say something that I wasn't even quite ready to when you were trending on social media for your hashtag Bachelor So White. I will never forget <laughs> it. I said, you know what? You led the way <laughs> for me to say, you know what? Like I was too afraid to rock the boat to say something because for me in that position, I said yes, because I wanted to create a path and I, I wanted other people of color, not just black people to be able to tell their stories and to feel like they could apply for the show and it could happen for them. 
But at the same time, I was stuck in a place of feeling like I had to play the game to be influential within the franchise to allow those people to come in and to have a voice. And then when it got to the point where I was like, you're using me as a pawn almost when I'm just a face for you, as I referred to as Matt James, the announcement of Matt James, it was the equivalent of putting up a black box on social media. When I started to feel that way, I had had enough and I didn't really care what happened. I was going to continue to speak out. So I knew I was in a safe place with you because I know we share the same sentiments about quite a few things. (laughs) (laughs) And if people come approach it or listen to us with an attitude of wanting to learn and just take that lump in your throat and just learn and don't get defensive, I promise you, you'll be grateful that you did. Absolutely. Last question for you. When is your birthday? April 21st. I'm a Taurus, but I'm on the cusp of Aries. Ah, There you go. I was going to say, I thought your birthday was November. I'm a Scorpio. And I thought almost I was feeling a little Scorpio in there. It's one of mine. I'm a double Taurus and a Scorpio for the moon, the right, all all of that. Scorpio hits in there. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I love a Taurus. Both. That pretty much summarizes it all. (laughs) Okay, Rachel. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to come here and tell my story. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. 